0: and salutations everybody this is the cult spark podcast a podcast where we chat about entertainments of the cult and geek varieties i am your host bob taylor and i'm joined as usual by my podcaster and crime Stuart smith different format today though this is a special edition of the cult spark podcast usually we focus each episode on a newly released film or a single topic But recently, I decided that I'd like to do a sort of listener mail episode of this podcast where you guys could ask me and Stu anything you wanted about the topics we normally cover, and we would be happy to attempt to answer those. So a few weeks back, Stu and I put out a request for questions, not really even sure if we'd get enough to do a full show, but folks online came through in a big way, and within an hour, it was clear that we were going to have enough good questions to fill up a full episode so welcome officially to Ask Bob and Stu Anything Part 1, and yes, I'm including the part one in the title there because I'm hoping that you all enjoy this and can come up with some more questions and that if if Stu's okay with it, we can do this every so often. Sound good to you, Stu? Why wouldn't I be okay with it? I'm, I'm assuming you would, but I don't like to just, you know, barrel ahead and not run stuff by you.
1: That... Right, look, it's your, it's your show, man.
0: Okay, so Stu, we've got a lot to get we've got a lot to get through here, and the questions cover a lot of ground. Uh, they I've, do. I've, I've kind I'm of. I'm
1: actually. I was, I was genuinely and pleasantly surprised by uh, how wide ranging these questions were. It was nice.
0: Yeah, I I've broken them down by category, so we're gonna answer some movie questions people had first, followed by a few TV questions, and then at the end, a couple of video game inquiries. Since I think people know that you and I are both pretty big gamers, so are you ready to go? let's go first up right out of the gate Todd wins the Bob's favorite question prize by asking which filmography holds up more Sylvester Stallone's or Arnold Schwarzenegger's
1: uh for me this is this is a great question but I I, it's also an easy one for me at least to answer and it's Stallone hands down Arnold has made some absolute all-timers I mean you, you can't there's no there's no denying that there's no questioning that uh you know he's made movies that you know completely changed the game in terms of of action films but uh Stallone's filmography is way more diverse he's taken some chances on stuff uh that I I never have really felt that Arnold has and i think that i mean just certain movies are just flat out better i mean there's there's nothing in Arnold's uh body of work that can stand up to the first rocky for instance uh i mean that rocky is one of the greatest films of all time you know and he, he's got he's i mean just just that character alone is better than yeah I, I would almost go so far as to say most of the movies that that schwarzenegger uh has made
0: okay
1: so yeah for, for, for me it's it's uh, it's Stallone. Uh, bar none.
0: Now, see, Stu, I I purposely put this question first because I knew you were gonna say Stallone, and I knew, <laughs> and I knew you were gonna be wrong. So, I, oh, you knew I was gonna be wrong. I, you yes. Knew. So I knew this was the perfect question to put first, so we could start fighting immediately. Because of course it's Arnold. Of course it is. I mean, Stallone has Rocky, and I guess we'll give him Rambo. Although I don't even feel like I need that series. And the, first Blood, and then, first, first blood and then is incredible. What do you have? What do you have past that? Okay, let's... let's You have let's nothing! Run,
1: let's, run, let's run this down.
0: Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me answer first. Let me answer first. So Listen, Stallone created the character of Rocky Balboa. He, he's a screenwriter, so sure, he's a better writer, something Schwarzenegger. You know, Schwarzenegger's just an action movie star. That's what he does. But his filmography is so much more diverse. He's got... he's got two stone cold genre classics the terminator and predator two all timers plus you've got t2 total recall the running man true lies conan he's got some comedies that kind of work i mean kindergarten cop and twins aren't bad stallone doesn't have any comedies that work yeah he does what
1: okay (laughs) uh tango and cash 100 percent works
0: I don't know if I'm calling that a comedy. I guess it's a comedy. Oh, it is a buddy okay. comedy act. Hey, a- Tango and Cash isn't very good. Tango and <laughs> Cash is great. Tango and Cash is better than at least
1: half the, the crap that... No. Uh, no, sir. Schwarznegger Schwarzenegger's made. No, sir. No, sir. Schwarzenegger does not, have a, does not have a drama in his filmography that is as good as Copland.
0: Seriously, what... <laughs> okay, okay, I'm going to fess up. I've never seen Copland. So... Maybe that's a stumbling block here. Maybe that's a problem here. Maybe I'd think higher of Stallone's filmography as a whole if I'd seen Copland. But I don't, I mean, it's, Copland is always considered one of his better films, but it's like, there's not a lot of people still talking about Copland. It's not really considered this must-see piece. Well, that's, that's a shame because it is, it actually is a must-see piece.
1: I mean, just the cast alone in Copland is, is amazing.
0: Copland is not a universally beloved film.
1: It's not, but it should be, and that's not the film's fault. Uh,
0: again, if you take out Rocky and Rambo, what has Stallone added to like the film lexicon? Like, what? Tell me, I don't know.
1: What What do you need more than than Rambo and Rocky, though? That's the thing.
0: I I, I need more of that. Again, uh, Schwarzenegger just has these cool cult movies. Uh, the Running Man is a cool cult movie. Total Recall. The Running Man. Okay, The Running Total, Man sucks. Total Recall say. is a cool cult movie. Total the, Recall the, the I have I have Conan. never
1: understood why people love Total Recall. These are fun it, 80s total, movies. Total Recall Total Recall isn't a bad movie, but it's not like I it just I don't understand the way Listen. people just think that it's it's this amazing action movie.
0: In the late 80s while wow. I think I actually think Schwarzenegger hurts
1: uh that movie.
0: Wow in the late '80s, while Schwarzenegger was churning out these very cool, very entertaining, sort of cult genre movies, Stallone was doing like Cobra and over the top and just total crap. I would, I total would put crap. Cobra up. I would. Oh please, <laughs> yeah. you're gonna you're gonna
1: say that Cobra is worse than garbage like, uh, you know, End of Days? Seriously? No. No, but I would happily watch. I would happily watch Cobra. Cobra is a fun movie. It's not a great movie, but it's a fun movie, and I would happily watch that over you know, half the generic crap that Schwarzenegger made you know, in the late 90s.
0: I, I think Schwarzenegger wins on Terminator and Predator alone, but again, I like that other stuff. Some of those other films I listed, I just think his filmography is deeper and more interesting. Even his, I mean, even you take like Last Action Hero, which is a, a, basically a failure, but it's an interesting failure. Like Schwarzenegger's failures are like interesting attempts at something. Stallones are like Oscar. Just bad stuff, Stu. Bad stuff.
1: Uh, uh, no, I believe me, I I will one hundred percent agree that uh, you know, stuff like Oscar and Rhinestone and uh, and stuff like that just don't work. But so, <laughs> look, the, the the Rocky movies alone are better than than so much of what schwarzenegger made
0: but like i mean how many how many must-see rocky movies are there three uh, you know i mean it's not like everyone is fantastic right
1: what every rocky movie no yeah. but the, okay even even the worst rocky movie is still at least very entertaining to watch
0: Rocky, five is, good, Rocky five is not entertaining to watch in any capacity. Rocky Five has its moments. No, no Rocky it Five has okay, its moments. Okay, we're obviously not changing each other's minds, and we have a lot of questions to go through. I'm going with Schwarzenegger. I don't know. I don't <laughs> know that Stallone has anything as bad as Batman and Robin
1: in his filmography. Okay, that might maybe, be true. We'll, maybe <laughs> Stopper, my mom
0: will shoot. Maybe, probably. Maybe. Okay. Next question. Uh, my friend Chad asks. Uh, rank the Daniel Craig James Bond movies versus the Jason Bourne franchise versus the Mission Impossible franchise. Uh, also, which spy would you want to save your ass? So before we start here, I should say that we are recording this before the incredibly reviewed Mission Impossible Fallout has even opened. And neither of us have seen that yet. Correct, Stu?
1: Uh, that is true, sadly. Uh,
0: but for me, it's the Mission Impossible franchise number one all the way. Although I have to say that with the caveat that I've only ever seen the first Jason Bourne film. So I'm actually not the best person to ask this question. Uh, those early Paul Greengrass Bourne sequels came out when I had, when my kids were babies. They, there's a couple gray years there when I had very young children where I missed some stuff. And I've just never gone back and rewatched those first two Bourne sequels. But I think the Mission Impossible franchise—I'm easily taking that over the Daniel Craig Bond movies. As much as I love Casino Royale, my feelings about Skyfall and Inspector are well documented. Uh, Stu, I believe you've seen all the Bourne movies, correct? Uh Yeah. I, well, I've seen all of them except the uh,
1: the last one that came out.
0: Okay. So give so give give us your which isn't supposed to be very good. It wasn't very well reviewed anyway.
1: No. So I, I just I. Uh, I think that came out around the time that my kid was born. So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. kids do uh, this, man. Okay, so rank rank those three franchises.
1: Yeah, I mean it's definitely Mission Impossible at the top. Even even the worst one, even Mission Impossible two is better. You know, the worst of that one is is better than the worst Daniel Craig James Bond movie. Like I I you know Mission Impossible two sucks, but sure, yeah, I will. I will gladly watch that over, you know, Quantum of Solace.
0: You're actually talking about Skyfall, though. <laughs> no, Skyfall about... is great.
1: Skyfall is is fantastic and you're horrible. <laughs> Tim... And I don't know why I'm still on this podcast because you're a terrible <laughs> person.
0: Our buddy Tim Kelly uh, wanted us to discuss. But actually, his question was Bob's Skyfall take discuss. So we thought we'd fold it in here yeah um yeah so, it's no big no, secret that I, I skyfall love... it's no big secret that skyfall is my least favorite of the daniel craig james bonds quantum solace is actually my second favorite i don't like specter that much either you're i don't um, see how
1: anybody can can i point, like
0: look i, I, I say I, listen, it's bad I, listen, it's okay you can say it's bad listen i i love casino royale and just Damn. and just after that the daniel craig james bonds have just been too dour and depressing Whereas the Mission Impossible films are just everything fun and exciting and joyful about action cinema. That's what I believe.
1: I mean, I will definitely agree with you on on the you know on the Mission Impossible side. I mean, those those movies are just a, a total blast. Uh, there's a joy of pushing uh, kind of filmmaking limits, especially in the latter ones. You know, um, but yeah, they're just a blast. Plus, I mean, Ethan Hunt is indestructible. In a way that Daniel Craig's James Bond is not. Uh, so yeah, Ethan Hunt and his IMF team, yeah, have them rescue me every single day of the week. Uh, too many, too many people die around Bond, like, regardless of which James Bond, you know, I mean, like he, people, you know, people don't
0: often make it out alive. Uh That's what the second part of Chad's question was, which spy would you want to save your ass? And I'm going with Ethan Hunt, because I feel like he's the only one that would spend the time to save my ass. He's the 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 only one that I think would care about my ass.
1: Yeah, Jason Bourne, uh, Jason Bourne doesn't really care about anything. Right. He just wants to be left alone. Right. He don't care what happens to us. So he's he's certainly not going to go out of his way to to help me. If, uh, you know, Craig Bond goes out of his way, there's a good chance I could still die uh but yeah sure yeah i will almost certainly make it out alive uh with ethan hunt
0: ethan don't leave people behind man so uh, so okay we're on the same page here mission impossible and man i'm excited for fallout let's podcast that next week Stu. oh god i cannot wait i am like just shaking with anticipation sweet we'll see it this weekend we'll podcast it next week uh our friend daniel baldwin who's written for the site in the past he wants to know if you could reboot, revive, remake any any Hollywood franchise that is currently dormant. What would it be? I'll let you go first here, Stu. Uh, for me, it's Highlander. Mm. I
1: I have I love the concept of Highlander, uh, and I love how I I I have uh, a lot of love for the first film. It's a bad movie, but it is it it's a, it's a lot of fun to watch. Clancy Brown is great. Uh, you know, it's fun watching Sean Connery just chew his way through the movie, uh, until he gets his head cut off at least. Uh, but there, there is so much potential, I think, uh, in that franchise, uh, and in that concept that has never, uh, you know, in any of the movies and any of the TV shows, even that weird ass cartoon that came out uh, in the nineties uh, that they made a, a, a an Atari Jaguar game of of all things. Wow, that's a deep I cut, think. Stu. That is a deep cut. It is cut. a deep cut. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's just uh, Highlander is a great idea uh, that has never been fully taken advantage of, and I would love to see uh, you know, someone else take a crack uh at that concept.
0: Okay, I think this question is hard because really, are there any potential franchises that are completely dormant right now? Like, it seems like anything that could potentially be a franchise... It's supposedly been in development for a while, right. but I wouldn't call it active. Right, so so because any potential franchise is in some sort of development, I feel like I had to cheat a little bit, and I have two answers. Uh, my first answer is Hellraiser. Now... Technically, Dimension is still making Hellraiser sequels, but, <laughs> but they're really only ashcan copies that they make real cheaply to hold on to the rights. Right. Like they just churn them out as cheap as possible and then they don't even really get released. So I'm picking Hellraiser because it's one of my favorite horror franchises and I would love to see a decently budgeted version that's released in theaters that perhaps involves original creator Clive Barker in some capacity. Like, not just a cheap ash can copy, but a legit effort to reboot the Hellraiser franchise, I would love. Um, now, you're not a huge horror guy, Stu. Have you ever seen any of the Hellraiser movies? Or
1: You know, I actually started watching the first Hellraiser on Netflix, and I meant to finish it because I was enjoying it. Uh, but I just, for whatever reason, never got around to it. So I need a – I need a uh, – god – so many, so, so many better late than never. I know. Uh, column ideas, uh, that, that I could, uh, could go with. Uh, but, uh, no, I, 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 need to, I, I need to get in, get back into that one.
0: Uh, the first two are excellent. I mean, just two of my favorite horror movies of all time. And then there were a couple of bad theatrically released sequels that there were, one of them is an Alan Smithy film. There was some director, producer. Behind-the-scenes drama, and then they just became—they just went down that avenue of direct, you know, video DTV nonsense. And I—I mean, you're never going to get a big-budget Hellraiser movie, but just you know, a legitimate, a a legitimate production with a little bit of money. The first movie wasn't big budget. No, no, but I mean, something. I mean, look, we've gotten. You know, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake and the Friday the 13th remake and a couple new Texas Chainsaw Maskers. And those all had a bit of money thrown behind them. And certainly the end results were of varying quality. (laughs) But, you know, give give me a $20 million Hellraiser instead of a one point, you know, $1 million, $800,000 Hellraiser. That's what I'd take. My, now, now, okay, here's my second answer, which I think you're going to like, Stu. Uh, the whole concept, the whole thing with remakes is that we should not remake and reboot Good movies or good franchise. We should sure. be we should be rebooting, you know, movies that there was a good idea that were strong in con, you know conceptually strong, but just failed in execution. And by that theory, the best movie to make is of course Highlander. You're correct, Stu. <laughs> I, I also had Highlander on my list, and I feel like it's cheating a little bit because again, there is supposedly a Highlander reboot in the works with uh, Chad Stahelski, who directed. Uh, who directs the John Wick movies. He's supposedly down the line going to be making a Highlander reboot. Maybe, you know how these things go, but Highlander fits up perfectly. I, I never, you know, I don't like the original film. You're right. I mean, Clancy Brown's fun. There are some things okay about it, but it's not a very good movie. None of the sequels are good. I never got into the TV series. But that, I watched the TV series a ton as a kid. But that, I mean, just conceptually, the whole, you know, there could be only one of these immortals, you know, living forever and going after each other to cut off each other's heads. Could you imagine what the John Wick guys could do with that concept? Oh, it's
1: it's it's delightful to I think mean, it about. I it could
0: be fantastic. So, yeah, that's so funny. We, we did not discuss this beforehand, folks, but apparently we both wrote down Highlander in our notes. So it's it's clear here, Dan, we're, we're picking Highlander. Let's get that going. And Stahelski's the right guy. I mean, we don't know if that's still happening or if that's going to happen, but I basically want the John Wick guys to make everything. God only knows what he could do with guys with swords trying to behead each other. Right. Yep. Next question's from Bruce, Stu. Do you think that the advancements in CGI over the past 30 or 40 years have led, slash are leading, to a decline in original story ideas overall? Also, do you think the studios shy away from smaller budget films with good stories in order to make franchise films like Star Wars or superhero movies because they know it will make money for them or in reality because A-list actors have such a high price tag? <sighs> it's a long question. Did you get all that? Yeah. Okay. You first on this one.
1: Okay. Um. No. I, I think that it's – Uh. I mean Hollywood has always chased – you know, big special effects, big spectacles, uh, adaptations, remakes. I mean, you know, n- none of this stuff is really, uh, is, is really new. I mean, you know, you've had Hollywood trying to make you know movies out of, out of, you know, radio serial dramas and, uh, you know, high fantasy characters, Robin Hood and Zorro. I mean, you know, people, people wearing masks and capes and you know, doing heroic things and stuff, uh, you know, has never been, uh, has, has never been hard to find in Hollywood. Um, remakes have never been hard to find in Hollywood. I mean, they, you know, they tried to make all kinds of unauthorized, uh, you know, or unagreed to sequels to like the Maltese Falcon, uh, you know, going all the way you know, back then. Some of the best films ever made are, you know, are, are remakes. You know, you've got, uh, you know Sergio Leone making remakes of Akira Kurosawa films I mean you know this this stuff has has always been uh, has always been around uh, I think it's just it's way more visible now uh, you know because I mean we can we can talk about and discuss these things where you know we're inundated by advertising and media and stuff like that so I think in a lot of ways it feels more prevalent uh, than it necessarily is but I mean I don't you know i don't think you can even compare i mean there are there are way more westerns made at the height of that genre you know genre or whatever you want to call you know a western um you know back in the heyday of westerns, there were far more westerns being pumped out into theaters uh than there are you know big budget uh superhero movies or or whatever or you know what have you now so uh you know and and look to i mean you know look at uh you know, the advent of, of, of movies going to streaming services. I mean, there are plenty of small budget dramas going to Netflix and Amazon Prime. Uh, you know, look at look at the Oscars every year. I mean, you know, it's it's a cottage industry, industry to have, you know, these smaller movies that, uh, you know, that don't make much money that get released in the fall every year uh, so that they can have a run at awards. So it's just I, I, some of it, I think, is that it, it's harder to just kind of sift through everything because there's. So much choice, there's so much out there, uh, that it can, can kind of seem that, uh, only a certain type or number of things are coming out, but, uh, no, short short answer is no.
0: <laughs> I somewhat, but not entirely disagree with that. Well, first of all, in response, and regarding Bruce's, the first part of his question, I reject the notion that it's CGI. Uh, CGI, yeah. is, CGI is just a tool. It's been one that's used to great effect in some pretty great movies. You never, you know, you don't blame the tool here. It's, you know, effects have been, this argument's been probably, has probably come along every time effects n- make some big new leap forward. And so I definitely don't think you can blame CGI for what's going on. And, and see, you no, know, CGI is not cheap either. I mean, it's not like some easy way. We just come in and we're making nothing but superhero movies because it's cheap right. and easy now. It's, it's, It's not cheap and easy, so it's not CGI. However, I... I don't think he's wrong when he see, says that Hollywood seems to care only care or care more about franchises these days and what you can churn out sequels for and what's going to please stockholders. I do feel like that's kind of an issue. I feel like when I was a kid, you know people tried to make good individual movies and then well, and then if I'm, one got made and made a lot of money made a lot of money, then yeah, Hollywood's going to jump on that and want to churn out sequels because Hollywood loves to make money. But I don't feel I feel like it's more now that they're trying to build franchise from the start. It's how we get the the what was it the dark universe that the mummy movie was supposed to start <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Those those things didn't really happen where you were putting the you know the cart before the horse. That seems like a modern current day thing. And I do think that's bad for film and bad from a creative standpoint.
1: I I will definitely agree that you know that something you know the whole concept of you know shared universes and and all that, you know, shared universes are the new trilogy. You know, it's like everything, everything was a trilogy in like the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, yeah. you know, now everything, instead of a trilogy, it's a, you know, it's a shared universe. And so, I mean, yeah, that something, something like that is, is definitely, you know, new to the scene, but, you know, I guess my whole thing was, you know, wanting to favor the things that, that will, you know, be surefire hits and, you know, uh, you know, going for for big bombastic films over you know smaller, uh, more personal films or whatever. I mean, there there's definitely kind of a uh, you know a golden age of of you know these studio powered, auteur driven films. You know, in the in the late '60s and '70s and all that. But that's almost kind of an anomaly. I mean, that you know having having those things be the dominant force of film, uh, you know, is it's not the way that Hollywood has, has always operated. I mean, Hollywood has always, you know, gone for spectacle and, and wanted to, you know, make things old, bring in lots of audiences. So it's, it, it, yeah, it is a little bit different now in the ways that they go after that sort of thing. But I would say you're prioritizing, uh, you know, certain types of movies over, you know,
0: quote unquote, better stories or whatever. Uh, that I don't think is necessarily new. There are a few production houses doing good work. Uh, thank God for Megan Ellison and Anna Purna Pictures. Uh, and I also agree with your comment about Netflix. Like, there is smaller original stuff out there if you care to go looking for it. Right. It's, um, it's
1: hard to cut through the norm. Um,
0: I watched – there's an Australian zombie movie called Cargo starring Martin Freeman that I watched just two weeks ago on Netflix that I really quite enjoyed. So, yeah, I mean, basically – the you know, media, all the film websites, everybody's bullying us in the, you know, going to see Deadpool two or whatever, and some of this other stuff doesn't get a lot of promotion or coverage. But if you look for it, it's there. I just, I do think that Marvel's success, as much as I've enjoyed it, has somewhat changed the way Hollywood's bean counters think for the worse.
1: Well, and you know, ahead. and and something something else is going to come along, and we'll. Shifted again. I mean, you know, these these shifts come in waves. Right.
0: All right. Chris asks, how did Disney screw up Star Wars so bad? <laughs> is I like it? Uh, can't <laughs> finish the first part of this without laughing. Is it repairable? In retrospect, <laughs> did they overpay for the franchise? And now that the last few movies have settled, do you guys still feel the same about them? Okay, so this is a seriously loaded. This is a loaded question. Uh, I'm going to tackle the easiest one real quick first. Did they overpay for the franchise? No. In fact, Disney underpaid. It's for, already paid for yes, itself. In fact, Disney underpaid for the franchise. They will be making bazillions of dollars in profit for eternity, long past I'm dead on Star Wars. I, I, I also think you and I both object to the notion that Disney has screwed up Star Wars, because I think you and I both really like a majority of the Star Wars movies Disney has released correct? I don't, there,
1: I mean, there isn't one that has come out that I actively dislike. There are one, you know, obviously there are movies that are stronger than others, but I, overall, I mean, I, I have enjoyed and have revisited all of them multiple times, so.
0: So let's, okay, no. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll go movie by movie. Uh, The Force Awakens, I still really like. I actually watched about half of it on TNT or we're showing it on cable this week, and I still think it's a fantastic return to that universe. Uh, Rogue One, I don't like, and the couple times I've seen it, it gets worse for me every time. It's not a disaster, it's not an embarrassment of a Star Wars film, but I, I, I don't love it by any stretch. The Last Jedi, I've still only seen like two and a half times actually. I really need to rewatch that again. Uh, it's a really good movie. I have some. It's it, the, the Last Jedi's interesting to me. Because the stuff that's caused the biggest outcry about The Last Jedi, especially from man babies on the internet, is the way Luke is handled. When I think it's clear that the Luke, Ray Kylo stuff is easily the best part of that movie. Easily. I love the way Luke Skywalker is handled in The Last Jedi. The parts of The Last Jedi that I don't think so much are the side plot stuff with Finn and Rose and some of the Poe and Haldo stuff. I think there's legit nitpicks through all that stuff and the more i've sort of read people's opinions and talked to people about the Last jedi the more i can see some holes in what ryan johnson was trying to do there but the the backbone of the movie the luke ray kylo stuff is still fantastic and then we have solo which you and i both really liked uh so we think the movies are good now i still think we can address this question Stu, because solo only made about 200 million at the box office which is I think it's still below Justice League.
1: No, it is yes, uh, yes. Box,
0: it's it's made yes. like 3 No, uh, it no, huh? Not North America.
1: No, in North America it, it's made uh like 212 million.
0: Yeah. That's a uh, lot.
1: Worldwide, worldwide box office is 388 million.
0: All right, North America it's below Justice League at this point. So, I think it's fair to say Disney was not expecting that. Uh, There are two ways.
1: Nobody was expecting
0: There are two ways we can address this question. So let me sort of springboard off of what Chris asked, and let me ask you these two questions, Stu. A, does Disney have a problem after Solo's box office? And B, does Disney have a problem because of the divisive, ugly reaction to The Last Jedi, something that's still lingering on Twitter and message boards today? Are either of these a problem for Lucasfilm?
1: Uh, no, neither of those things are going to be a problem. Neither. No, no. I, I, in no way do I think. Like, let's let's touch on the, you know, the toxicity toward the Last Jedi uh, first. I mean, the movie has made 1.3 billion dollars. Huge worldwide. success worldwide. Um, no amount of whiny fanboys on the internet, and I, you know, what? I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not gonna even. I'm not even gonna call them fanboys. They don't deserve that. <laughs> Uh, you know, these angry mobs on the Internet, uh, you know, whining because they didn't get a badass uh, Luke Skywalker force pushing, you know, AT-ATs off the battlefield, you know, <laughs> slicing 100 stormtroopers with a lightsaber. Uh, you know, whoever whoever wants that, there is no amount of them out there that will cripple uh, Star Wars significantly and whatever comes next.
0: Did you call them ATATS instead of Adats? It's always yeah. Ad- because <laughs> I try, to, I try to be consistent. Since, I mean, ATSTs. You say ATST, right? Yeah, so I say
1: A-T-S-T's. ATSTs, and so it's just like I mean, uh, yeah. They're like, AT-ATs. I, I called it an AT-AT for <laughs> my, my entire life. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Okay. All right.
0: Whatever. All right. Continue anyway, on.
1: so so no, I mean, like when when Episode Nine, there is gonna be plenty of time, uh, between you know when Solo came out and when Episode Nine hits. Uh, you know, people, people are super invested in, you know, in these new characters, in this new trilogy. Uh, it's obvious that audiences just didn't want or need a Han Solo origin movie, which, you know, while I thoroughly enjoy the movie, I saw it, you know, two, three times in the theater. I'm going to buy the Blu ray when it comes out. But we Um, weren't really looking forward to it super. We weren't, we weren't. And that's what I'm saying. Like, even though, even though I thoroughly enjoyed the movie that we did get, I, you know, I I understand why audiences didn't flock to it. You know, for a multitude of reasons. So, uh, you know, but people have an obviously have an attachment uh, to this new, you know, mainline trilogy. And when Episode Nine comes out, it's gonna do, you know, it's gonna do great at the box office. I'm sure.
0: I think the year and a half between Solo and Episode Nine is good. I think we yeah. need a little bit of refresher time there. Yeah, I I think that that
1: more than anything will be its biggest advantage i think
0: and i've said before i think for the cartoons and the animated stuff it's fine and i'm not going to linger on this because i've said it in print i've said it on this podcast before i think it would behoove lucasfilm to stop jumping around the timeline and once the new trilogy is complete come up with a series of spin-offs and side pulls and stuff that all takes place in a straight timeline after episode nine with the new characters we love i really think they should do that but we'll see
1: I think you could still get away with doing a Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan movie, but I think overall that's about the limit that most people would accept for like, you know, doing uh, pre a new hope movies at this point.
0: Okay. Mike has two DC comics questions for us or EU questions for us. Uh, uh, DC extended universe, single universe of films or no continuity between them at this point. What would you prefer us to do? Um, you know what? I, I think the smart
1: play would be to have them just focus on the story that they're telling. Don't try to just plant a whole bunch of seeds of, you know, extended universe, you know, shared universe, whatever, uh, in there. Just, just make a good movie, you know, tell a good story, have good characters, uh, you know, put subtle stuff in there, uh, you know, which is, which is what the early Marvel films did. I mean, those, you know they definitely had, there there were no shortage of easter eggs uh you know for potentially connected films you know in captain america and iron man and uh you know uh, the first thor movie and all that kind of stuff i mean that you know they definitely had their share of, the, of those things in there so i mean you can, you can do that uh you know so I, I guess if i have to pick uh one of these you know do do no continuity just just make good movies
0: yeah i'm with you i mean I- Obviously, doing a big shared universe like Marvel has, they tried to jump into it too fast. Yeah. And it didn't work out for them at all. Uh, so I'm not sure you can just keep on trying to force that through. But at the same things, at the same time, you have to hold on to what's working. I mean, you have to keep making Gal Gadot movies or Wonder Woman movies with Gal Gadot. And I think me and you both want Cavill sticking around to Superman. Yeah, definitely. And, and I don't want, Like three Jokers running around, which seems like the direction they're going toward where they're developing multiple. You know, we're getting a (laughs) Joaquin Phoenix movie where he's the Joker and maybe another Jared Leto, Leto Leto Joker movie. I I don't think they should be doing multiple versions of the same character at the same time. I think that they should slyly give the appearance of all these things being set in the same universe without having to be – while doing what you said. While creating standalone movies that work in and of themselves and that aren't, rely of, aren't relying on what came before or what came next. Does that make sense? Sure. So that's what I'd go for. Uh, no continuity or light continuity. Let's make good individual films. Doesn't matter if they connect to any big picture at large. But yeah, maybe not have three different Jokers running around because that's just confusing. My second question was, you are now the producer of the next Batman film. Who do you cast? Who directs? What aesthetic do you go for? I have been saying for years, uh, the Batman movie I want is one that features Batman trying to outfight and outsmart multiple villains in a locked room mystery set in Arkham Asylum. Uh, let's get Alex Garland, who did Ex Machina and Annihilation, to write and direct, and I would be completely sold.
1: That that's a uh, that's a great idea. Um, Yeah, especially uh, you know Alex Garland's a great a great choice for that. Sure, yeah, go for it. I'd watch that. You got Uh, any ideas? Yeah, uh, I would love to see. uh, I would love to see a Guillermo del Toro Batman
0: movie. Mm. Hmm. I don't don't know about that. Sell me on it. I I think you know. I just
1: del Toro is a wonderful. Visual stylist, uh, I would love to see him bring, you know, just his gothic sensibilities to Gotham City. Um, I just I think he could have a lot of fun. Uh, you know, he probably in in some ways turn it into a you know into a monster movie, which is
0: fine. But the thing uh, is, you know, Tim Burton that'd was our, That'd be something you know what, a little though? different. Tim, would it though? Because. Tim Burton's, especially Batman Returns, already kind of is the Batman movie slash monster movie, isn't it?
1: Um, yeah, kind of. Kind of. Um, I don't
0: know. I'm not sure a del Toro version of Batman would be that different from what Burton did. Honestly. It wouldn't be, but I think that the character,
1: I think the character flourishes in within that style. Um... Okay. Fair enough. You know, uh, but I also I also think that Matt Reeves, who is,
0: you know, currently supposedly still working supposedly, on supposedly, uh, huh? Supposedly, maybe. Right. I'm just I'm just, heard, said, I'm just saying we haven't heard. I'm just saying we haven't heard about it in a while. Right. I said supposedly. Yeah. Don't, okay. Okay. Stop putting words in my mouth that I've already. Stay put calm, Stu. Stay chill. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, or I, I don't know if he would have any. Uh, you know any interest in it at all. You know, but I mean, hell have George Miller do it again. You know, have, have a crack at mm. DC heroes again. I think that ship is kind of sailed. It probably that's has, one of those
0: that, great woulda, that, coulda that was, in that, Hollywood that, but that history. But
1: yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I, I actually think Matt Reeves uh, is, is a great, uh, great choice for director. So hopefully he sticks around uh, as far as who you cast, get rid of Affleck. Uh, I don't think he has any interest in doing it anymore. Uh, so just recast and move on. So if you want to go younger, um, I still want to see Army Hammer play Batman. I love Army Hammer. I will champion that guy, uh, all day long. I think he's great.
0: I bet Army uh, Hammer would still like to see Army Hammer play Batman too.
1: I'm sure he would. And the <laughs> fact that George Miller cast him, like, all those years ago, uh, for his Justice League movie, uh, I've only grown to love the guy. Since then, so I, yeah, sure, give it to him. I'd love to see that. Um, uh, or and you know, I mean, this is this is this is gonna be this is gonna seem like you know the really generic answer. This is the, this is kind of on par with the whole you know you know casting <laughs> Bruce Campbell uh, and anything from you know back in the nineties and early two thousands. Uh, John Hamm. I I think John Hamm. Nah, he's too old. No, nah, nah, no, like, I mean, look, I mean, look. He is, the, he is old, but you can still play him younger than how they have Batman in the last two movies.
0: I don't know about that. I, I don't know. I without looking, I, I that, that, without, look, one, without I, looking, a, without a, looking a, it up, I'm not sure where Ham's. I think Ham is older than Affleck. I could be. I'm pretty sure, but it's like there are. We already have an older Batman on screen right now. That's what they've been doing. Well, that, that's what and I'm saying. I, I like, don't know if you get Ham younger than that.
1: Uh, Ham is actually 2 years older than Ben Affleck. All right.
0: So But, but he
1: doesn't he doesn't look 47 years old, I don't think. All I right. mean J- John Ham has looked that age for the last, you know, 10-12 years. Um but no, that that's what I'm saying like depending on if like I I think Ben Affleck is out, I don't think he's going to be Agreed. Batman ever again. So that that's why I'm saying like if you want to go if you want to keep Batman old, go with someone like John Ham. If you want to Skew younger and just kind of ignore thing, ignore things, uh, you know what what they've done before, then cast young and do Army Hammer.
0: All right, uh, okay, next up, Stu. Uh, Matt writes, of all the Adam Sandler movies, which would you most like to burn, and also which one would you put in a time capsule for future generations? Now, Stu, before we answer this, we got several Adam Sandler questions for you. Most of them of the joking variety, so I think first. You should fill everyone in, listening, why people on Facebook are always bugging you about Adam Sandler.
1: So, uh, Adam Sandler movies uh, were my nemesis when I was I was the arts and entertainment editor uh, for my local newspaper for about five years. I did movie reviews, and I made uh, no secret of the fact that I like every pretty much every Adam Sandler movie I went to go see to write a review of. I hated, and I wrote, you know, just these really passionately hateful reviews, uh, specifically Grown Ups. I mean, the the first Grown Ups is one of the only movies that I have ever just gotten up and walked out of.
0: So your faithful readers to this day love giving you shit about this.
1: They do, uh, to the point where, like, I literally got copies of Grown Ups 2 <laughs> on dvd and blu-ray uh as a quote-unquote wedding present (laughs) uh and they're like do your job because i just never went to go see grown-ups too because i'm not subjecting myself uh to bullshit like that i don't need that in my life
0: okay so let's get your answer for this then which one are you which one are you burning and which one do we keep for future generations
1: well obviously it's going to be grown-ups it can't be anything else but grown-ups
0: grown-ups or grown-ups too
1: uh, I wouldn't know. Grown Ups <laughs> 2 may be incredible, but I'll never know. Um, or maybe Jack and Jill. Jack and Jill is almost as bad. Okay, for the record, uh,
0: I, I've never seen any of those shitty movies either. Never
1: know. So. <laughs> uh, the one to put in the time, into the time capsule is Punch Drunk Love.
0: Yeah, I think I have... I'm kind of torn on the time capsule one. It's either Punch Drunk Love, which is his best movie... By Paul Thomas Anderson, one of our best working filmmakers, or—and I'm serious here—I think you maybe can make the case for Billy Madison. I, I would I would
1: agree with that because there, there, there if, is a case there is a case to be made for if that. If
0: you want to say, okay, Adam Sandler was a thing, Adam Sandler's style of comedy was a thing. It had its fans. Not only as this is where it all started. But it's also still probably the best of those sort of happy Madison style Adam right. Sandler movies. I could see picking Billy Madison.
1: Like if if there's a if there is a quintessential Adam Sandler movie
0: that's also watchable. Yes. So it's like if you want to go to the, with the best movie, go with Punch Drunk Love. If you want to go with the movie that's most indicative of Adam Sandler's career, that's still pretty good and has Bradley Whitford being hilarious in it. Go with Billy Madison. Right. <laughs> okay. Stu, we, we got through the movie section. Take a breath. <laughs> Take a drink. Uh, on to TV now. Alva asks, what is your favorite standalone episode of any particular TV show? An episode that you could show to anyone, regardless of their familiarity with the show, and they would enjoy it. Two of his examples are Blink from Doctor Who and Babylon 5's episode Intersections in Real Time. Now, Stu, here's the thing. This is a super easy question if you're going to pick a sitcom. Because, I mean, you could watch almost any single episode of Seinfeld or Parks and Rec or The Office or Futurama and probably find it funny and probably get something out of it, right? Yeah, sitcoms are generally,
1: you know, constructed that way. All
0: right. So it's much harder with dramas. So I kind of was racking my brain to try to come up with, well, if I wanted to show somebody like one of my favorite dramas of all time, what would I show them? And even that's hard because you you can't pick an episode from the Shield or The Wire or Breaking Bad and have that work.
1: You uh, you can't really do it because they're so well. They they rely on continuity.
0: Yeah, right. They're so uh...
1: every like everything like with, with the the shows that you mentioned like The Wire and Breaking Bad like everything builds from that first episode. Correct. Uh, so this this was actually easy for me. Okay. Well, uh, I, I have a couple. Go ahead. You go first. Modern, the modern warfare episode, uh, which is the first paintball episode from Community. Okay, but that's a sitcom. But okay. Uh. Well, but see, it's a little bit different because, like, just the whole concept of Community. I mean, I wouldn't call Community a high concept sitcom, but it's definitely much more character focused than a lot of sitcoms. Right. And so much of the humor of that show is based on. You know, relationships and interplay and everything uh, while still just having really unique jokes uh, but I, th- I think that that like if I wanted to sell somebody on watching community because the st- you know its sense of humor uh, is a, a, a pretty specific in a lot of ways okay then uh, then a, than a lot of sitcoms and so I uh, that is a great gateway episode okay uh, it was that was actually the first episode that I ever watched of the show. Uh, you know, not knowing any of the characters or anything, and it just it that that hooked me hundred percent. Uh, and that's the episode that I've used to hook other people. Okay. In the show. Uh, so but then the other one, like for a non-sitcom, uh, I would actually go with the it's a two-parter episode, so yeah, maybe fudging a little bit, but the two cathedrals, uh, two-parter yes. from West Wing season two. Absolutely. Like you got amazing drama. Um, just like every everything that makes that show great is in those two is
0: in that two-parter yeah that's a good choice those are fantastic episodes um i tried to find a couple from my some of my favorite shows of all time so from from buffy the vampire slayer which is my favorite hour-long drama of all time uh we could go with hush which is the episode where everybody loses their voice there's not a lot of talking in it but it's completely self-contained it's scary and funny, so you kind of get both parts of that Buffy vibe. Uh, there's another one called Fear Itself, which u- isn't as renowned as Hush and isn't usually listed among Buffy's best episodes. But again, it's very self-contained, and it's one of those episodes that's scary and funny and ends on a great joke. So if I was trying to get somebody to watch Buffy, I'd probably have them watch either Hush or Fear Itself. Um, also, the Pine Barrens episode from The Sopranos. And I think the postmodern Prometheus from the X-Files would work. Uh, the black and white one with, uh, where they play, uh, play, uh, Walking in Memphis by Cher at the end. I think that would work coming into it without having watched the X-Files as a whole. Those are the ones I could come up with. Tough question. Good question, Alva. Uh, Guy has a TV question. In this time of reviving old TV shows, are there any you can think of that didn't succeed in their initial run? But have a premise or characters that deserve a second chance. And the thing here is, is, you know, it's, it's usually successful TV shows that are revived after a bit right. of time. It's not unsuccessful ones. It's usually like, oh, tw- you know, Twin Peaks is coming back or 24 is coming back or, you know, shows that people actually liked and had an audience. As far as ones that we can say didn't do well in their initial runs, I mean, my list would be the same as everybody else's Firefly, Carnival, uh, Deadwood, although it was literally just announced like a half hour before we started <laughs> recording this, that the Deadwood's going to get a, the, the the continuation movie has been greenlit and should air next year. Uh, so I mean those ones, but besides for the Deadwood movie, it's not going to happen. So
1: right, which is a shame because I I mean like Carnival is definitely one of those like I I loved Carnival so much I was so into it that I actually I had both the uh, both seasons on DVD. I could never bring myself to finish the second season. <laughs> oh, I couldn't it's, it's do it because it so I, good too. I, it was, I knew that I wasn't going to get the resolution that I needed. And so I was just like, I would rather not know what happens and not finish this, uh, and be left hanging for eternity. Um, Cardiff. you know, then.
0: Carnival is one of those shows where I, I didn't really love the first season. I thought it was okay, but I kept watching it because I thought it was interesting, and there was nothing else like it on TV. And then the there's sec- still nothing like and it And then the TV. second season was an improvement in every capacity, tremendous. Loved the second season, was heartbroken when it was taken away.
1: Like, there, there's still nothing like uh, Carnival. I mean, it, it's just... Oh man, it was so good.
0: Did you have any answers for this question, Stu? Uh,
1: Carnival, obviously.
0: I, uh, I, man, I thought this is where you were going to talk about Terriers for like a half hour.
1: Uh, yes. Well, okay, <laughs> see, here's the thing. I, yes, I would give my left arm to have Terriers come back. But I also love the way that it ended. Okay. Like, I, I think for the, for what, if you had to end a show that good that way, like, in so abruptly, like, that fit those characters and where they were, like, it, it was, I would take more of it in a heartbeat, but it was also satisfying in a way. Like, it just, it remains this perfect singular thing. So, yeah, I mean, Terriers is absolutely on that list. Uh, but you it know, works I, if
0: you just want to judge it as like a, a mini series, it's fine. Right? It's like yeah, it does. It, and
1: okay. not many shows can do that. Gotcha. Uh, you know that that kind of had the same fate. Uh, the other one is uh, I I maintain that Better Off Ted uh, arrived too early.
0: Okay. I never watched it, but I know other people think this way.
1: I man, that show I still go back and rewatch episodes, and it's hilarious. And just the style of humor I think would would survive. Uh, so much better now.
0: Okay, Michael asks, and Stu, this is going to be a question for me, I believe, uh, can The Walk? Can The Walking Dead be saved? What direction do you think they could take the show? My opinion is that the season finale should have been the series finale. And Stu, you do not watch The Walking Dead, correct?
1: I do not watch The Walking Dead. I have watched the pilot episode, <laughs> and I just noped out from yeah,
0: there. Yeah, that was wise of you? I do not you?
1: care, so it... Uh, that show could run for eternity, and I would pay it no, no more mind than I do now. Uh,
0: Michael, I agree with you. Uh, it should have ended. I do think this latest season finale worked fine as a series finale. Uh, I have Now that it's been officially confirmed that Andrew Lincoln is leaving the show, I have no idea how they continue on without Rick. Um, the, the comic book has always been his story. The show has always been his story. There's no reason to continue on except it's a cash cow for AMC, and they have to keep going. The problem here is just TV shows are not meant to run forever. And they're approaching like season 9 or nine or 10 of the show with no end in sight. And quite frankly, I, I can't think of anything you would do to save it at this point. They've exhausted all their stories. I really, really want to stop watching now and plan to cut it off going into this year. Although there is a little bit of a pull in seeing uh, Lincoln's final six episodes to kind of see what they do with Rick. So maybe I'm going to get sucked into watching till he leaves. I'm not it just depends on how much willpower I have when it starts in October. I'm honestly shocked that you still watch the show. I I, I can't think of anyone I, else. Man, who it is more, hard for when if you, I listen. Listen, if I've invested hours and hours of my life into watching seasons and seasons of a television show, it is hard for me to stop. I have done it. Um, I stopped watching Burn Notice after four or five seasons. Uh, there have been a couple.
1: You you have been uh, consistently complaining about this it. show
0: for years. There, there was a time when I really liked it. and It started strong, got iffy fast, but then around seasons four and five, it was a really good show. They really pulled it together. And then, yeah, and then it's just, it it wasn't worth it. It, Whenever the show's been good, it hasn't been worth all the times it's been bad, and I don't think there's a way to fix it. I'm gonna try to get out, Stu, this year, I swear. The question is, am I done now, or am I gonna get, the only question is, am I done now, or am I gonna get sucked into watching Andrew Lincoln's final six episodes?
1: Oh, good lord.
0: Uh, Reed asks, what is the best single episode of the worst TV show that ever aired? And alternately, what's the worst single episode of the best TV series that's ever aired? Uh, the second question is easier. Uh, and worst of the best is definitely the Lost finale for me. Uh, I actually strongly dislike the entire final season of Lost, but the last episode is the Nadir. And for a show that for five seasons, and yes, all five, I even loved... Season 5, which some people didn't, which was one of the best, most genre-defining TV shows we've ever had, to so completely shit the bed in its final season, and then to just completely just fall apart, piss on the audience in its final episode. Just a disaster. Best single episode of the worst TV show that ever aired? I I don't know, because I I try not to watch bad TV. Except The Walking Dead. I mean, it's... Okay, we could say... Uh the episode Clear from The Walking Dead, which was a Morgan-centric episode, it's tremendous. Um, the pilot was tremendous. Uh Stu, do you have answers for either of these questions? Um, actually I don't know. I've never I don't know I can't answer this. Right, it's hard because if you think the TV show's bad, you're probably not watching it to get to the best Well and episode. I
1: I've just like traditionally can you, think, can
0: you think of the worst episode of a show you love?
1: Uh yeah, Isaac the I the Isaac and Ishmael Episode of West Wing season three, it was supposed it was supposed to be there, like
0: Is that the 9/11 one?
1: Yeah, that's the nine eleven episode.
0: Okay, I don't and that I, was just, I don't that, hate that hour like everybody else does. It was bad. It was just bad. Uh, it was
1: I just noble it just did,
0: an attempt, but didn't quite it was work. it
1: was a noble attempt, but it just did not work for me at all.
0: Um I, I can give one more answer. Go on.
1: I I can't like traditionally I've just never watched much T V to begin okay. with. Because, I, you know, I mean, I haven't had cable for most of my life. Uh, you know, never watched many network, you know, TV shows. So, yeah, I, I just I can't answer, answer that.
0: There's a, and I can remember this from my TV critic days when I was writing a weekly TV column for a, a newspaper. There's a Brian Fuller scripted episode of Heroes called Company Man. That's fantastic. And even though Heroes turned to shit really, really fast uh that episode of that show is fantastic as is a lot of the things that brian fuller touches so there's sort of a real answer to but yeah the first part best episode of a bad show i have no idea if anybody out there has any suggestions for that send them to me we'll retweet them all right Stu, we, we can fit in about let's quickly run through two video game questions okay uh chad asks different chad from the earlier chad new chad asks video game inspired movies historically have been atrocious Mortal Kombat, Super Mario Brothers, Street Fighter, and World of Warcraft come to mind. Are there any recent games that could make for a good movie in the right hands? I'm curious about this Witcher project and would be interested in a Dark Souls or Bloodborne inspired flick. Uh, Stu, I know you've written for Cult Spark before, our website before, about how Metal Gear Solid should be turned into a movie.
1: I have, and everyone should go and read that, uh, right now. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Give any, us clicks.
0: Uh, besides for Metal Gear, any other picks? Uh, yeah, I, look, I think that,
1: You know, there are. I think there is a good way to do, uh, movie adaptations of a lot of games. Uh, you know, games that have already been made into movies. Like, I actually have great ideas for how you can make a good Street Fighter movie, even though I will go. Don't you like Street Fighter? I love Street Fighter. I will go to the mat. I, and I have. Everyone should go and buy Van Damage Report Volume 1 on the (laughs) Kindle Store. Uh, and you can see how I have, uh, you know, uh, vociferously defended uh the Van Damme Street Fighter movie. Uh I think it's I, I love it. I think it's a ton of fun. Okay, but you're in the but minority,
0: yeah. moving on to what we would what but now, yeah anyway, yeah. yes,
1: yes. I think there is there is a way to uh to do this. It's it's like it's like cracking any comic book movie at this point. You just you have to focus on character. Uh you have to, you know, have motivation for what's going on and not just make it uh you know, uh, you know, fighting and shooting in action for the sake of fighting, shooting in action. Uh, I actually think that the Mortal Kombat movie cracked that code. Uh, it's just that the problem is that like most of the acting and uh, at least half of the fighting in that movie uh, isn't very good. So I think if you were to get some better actors, you know, tweak you know, give a few more passes at the script uh, and you know, and better fight choreography, and the Mortal Kombat movie could have been legitimately uh, a really, really good uh, video game movie.
0: My answer to this is always Uncharted, which is suddenly in the news right now, thanks to an unofficial short film that Nathan Fillion made. But uh, the problem with Uncharted is still who plays Nathan Drake, the protagonist of the game. That short that Fillion, uh, Fillion would have been perfect at age 30. That short did not convince me that he's not too old now. I think he's still too old. So, he is the dual. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I don't know how. Here's the problem. I don't know how you do it and be as good as the game. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe the game versions of Uncharted or The Last of Us or even something like Zelda. Maybe these are already the perfect versions of these stories, the versions we fell in love with. Well, and the, yeah. And, and if that, there's, that's... if there's no way to improve upon those characters from their video game versions, what's the point? What's the point? And the only direction you can go is down. We can't have better versions of the Uncharted characters than we do already in the games. So even though I would love to see that world somehow realized in movie form, it's almost like you can't, you're almost certainly going to be disappointed a little bit because it's not the Naughty Dog video game version of those characters.
1: Right. Well, and that, you know, that's the most important thing ever. You have to approach it as a movie. But since these characters and stories have been built from the ground up to not be a movie and to in fact be games, I mean, that, you know, that presents a problem, but, uh, you know, with something like Uncharted, you know, I mean, those games are centered around these well-defined, likable, uh, very flawed characters. So, I mean, th- there are definitely games that have more potential uh, than others, but, you know, what makes those, you know, what, part of what makes the narrative in Un- Uncharted so great is, you know, part of it's the performance. Uh, you know, nobody will ever be as good uh you know, uh, as as those original actors, right? Like uh, Nolan but, North, is Nathan Drake? You know, uh, you know, Bruce Straley and 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 Amy Hennig and um, oh God, who's the guy? The the other guy that worked on he worked on The Last of Us and then Uncharted 4. I can't remember his name. I know Druckman. Yeah, Neil, Neil Druck- Druckmann. Yeah, yeah, Neil Druckmann. Uh, you know, they approach, I mean, part of why Uncharted and The Last of Us. Work so well is because they focus on character because they started with character. They built those games around those characters. And that's what you have to do with these movies. You have to build them around characters. And so it just, it requires a level of, uh, of investment and, you know, wanting to tell a good story and not just copy these big moments.
0: There were rumors for a while that JJ Abrams and Bad Robot were toying with a Portal movie. And being that it's clear that we are never going to get a Portal 3 from Valve or any part or, ha- three, or, or any Val- or any part 3 from Valve. Right? I, I kind of would like to see that happen. I'm not sure if it'd be any good, but I'd like to see him take a crack at it. Uh and and The Last of Us was a game you just mentioned. That's going to be our last question. Joseph asks He, Joseph must either, Joseph is either presumptuous or is pushing his opinion on us, or he just knows we both really love The Last of Us, because Joseph asks, what moment in The Last of Us made you realize we were entering a new era of storytelling for games? And Joseph, I'm not going to yell at you, I'm actually going to agree with you, and for me, it's that uh, everything that happens after you take control of Ellie, once Joel's injured and the game player takes control of Ellie for that segment... From that point on, from that point through where Joel has to save Ellie from the Fireflies, that entire last act is just next level for me.
1: Uh, my answer is pretty much the same. Uh, but for me, like the the the, the, the point of punctuation on that is actually the very last shot. Uh, where Ellie not igno- like you can you can Ellie has a soul in that moment. In a way that no other video game character ever
0: has. This is why Ellie is the greatest character in video game history. Right. Um, So mega spoilers. Mega spoilers. Joel has just lied
1: through his teeth to Ellie about you know you know there being a cure you know and how they you know they didn't need uh you know they didn't need her to you know to be that. You know, to help, you know, provide that cure, everything. In uh, Star
0: Trek terms, Joel is putting the needs of one over the needs of the many. Right? Exactly. And the needs of himself because she's replacing the daughter that he lost. Right.
1: And it's, and it is, it is this gut-wrenching moment. But you totally buy into it. A, you know, partly because of, you know, because of, of, of the performance. Um, yeah. But it's so well written. But then Ellie's response You can see it in her eyes. You can see it. She she knows he's lying. Right. Exactly. She knows he's lying, but she just she says okay, and she she I mean she lets it go because she doesn't want to lose what she has either. And And it's just it's this perfect moment of you know to cap this off, and that it's just it's perfect in a way that no other game has, has has. uh, pulled off before or since.
0: And and going back to uh, Chad's question, you're never going to replicate that perfectly if you make a Last of Us movie. It's just, you're not going to do it. It's perfect in the game. And I can't wait for Last of Us Part 2. <laughs> okay, so that's it, Stu. We got all the questions in. Huge thanks to everyone who submitted a question for this episode. We really appreciate you all taking the time and the thought to do it. Like I said at the beginning, we would love to do this again at some point. So if you just finished listening to this episode and you enjoyed it and you immediately, you know, you've thought of a topic you'd like us to discuss or maybe something – maybe you'd like to uh, you'd like us to readdress something we said on this episode, something you didn't agree with you want to throw back at us. Anything you want us to ask, it might be a while before we do another one of these episodes, but go ahead and send it to us. I'll, I'll keep them in a file. When we do this again, I'll have them. Uh, the easiest way is probably by messaging us on Twitter at CultSpark. Or you can find me at Robert P Taylor or Stu at Stu Do. Uh, anywhere you follow me or Stu, feel free to shoot us, you know, podcast-related questions in any time, and we'll try to answer them. Feel free to hit us up. Uh, and you can also find Cult Spark on Facebook and Instagram. Stu, it was fun, right? Yeah, no, was, yeah, let's definitely do this again. Okay, and we're going to be back next week to talk Mission Impossible Fallout. Yes, indeed. Sounds great. We'll see everybody then. Thanks for listening, everybody.